launch in three, two, one. Go. This is a dangerous group that we're dealing with now. Introducing the Dog Pound Daily Podcast with your hosts, Andrew Seipt and site expert Stephen Kibitza. This DJ is so funky, man. Okay, let's go. The Cleveland Browns remain undefeated in the 2017 preseason. I'm Stephen Kibitza here with the Dog Pound Daily Podcast. Joining me is Andrew Seipt. And we are ready to break down this game against the Giants. Andrew, why don't you go ahead with a little uh, stat breakdown? Well, the final score, if you didn't watch, is 10-6. to 6. <laughs> real, barn, <laughs> real barn burner on both sides, offensive, uh, offensive juggernauts. For the home stats, which would be the Cleveland Browns, Osweiler, 6 of 8, 25 yards with an interception. That was happened to be batted down at the line of scrimmage. Kaiser, 8 of 13 for 74 yards, 5 rushes, 35 yards, and 1 touchdown. He was the leading rusher. Eli Manning, 10 of 14, 80 yards. The Browns had 134 yards passing, 108 yards rushing. They had 18 first downs, time of possession, 35 minutes. They had two total turnovers and nine penalties for 70 yards. The Giants, 147 passing, 65 rushing, 25 minutes time of possession, 13 first downs, and three turnovers with five penalties for 30 yards. Steven, what stood out to you in this game? I think the main thing that stood out to me and a lot of Browns fans was the play of the Browns defense. Obviously, we know coming in the offense is going to struggle. Uh, It's just a fact of this team. But the defense really stepped up. Miles Garrett got his first sack, had a big smile on his face after he did it with ease. And he was whooping Eric Flowers all night. And that was one of our things to watch in the last podcast was, you know, Eric Flowers is really struggling there on the left side for the Giants. And Garrett was just abusing him. Jabril Peppers, he played well in the special teams. We'll get to that later. But even on defense, he was all over the field. The secondary played well. The pass rush didn't get destroyed, although we didn't get to see Danny Shelton because he's out with an injury. So still need to see a little more with what he can do when he's back. But, I mean, Eli Manning played quite a bit, and the Browns shut him down. Giants didn't score a touchdown. Pretty good for this Browns defense. A lot has been made over the Odell Beckham hit from Brian Body Calhoun. But... A lot of people are forgetting that Odell Beckham was in the game and like late into the second quarter. You know, that's a long time for him to be out there. But what I what I wanted to see coming into the game was improved run defense, one wide receiver that stepped up, and Osweiler's accuracy. And I really didn't see any of that except for the improved run defense. You know, with Danny Shelton being out, I thought it might have taken a little step back. But with the Giants being one of the worst rushing teams in the NFL, it was really nice to see that they took advantage of that and really just swallowed up the running backs as soon as they, before they even got started. So the run defense is slowly getting there. But uh, Joe Schobert stood out to me a lot. I'll get to more to him later. Uh, But like you said, the Browns defense was just really solid yeah even late in the game with the third and fourth string guys because this year there's only one set of roster cuts so they're carrying 90 throughout the preseason it's a new change this year and you have those guys who likely aren't going to make the team but picking up goal line stands at the end of the game forcing turnovers there's the great sequence of kessler fumbling followed by i believe it was geno smith fumbling I thought it was Geno Smith. I think it went down as Geno Smith, but it was part of the running back, too. Oh, it was a botched handoff. Yeah. It was a Wayne Gallman. But they, the defense played well, and they even had that interception of Geno Smith deep in Brown's territory. Yeah, let's start off 
even we're going to we'll get to Gino Smith a little bit later. Let's start with the first quarter, at least in the first part of the half. You know, that first Giants drive, Joe Schobert comes out knifing through the middle with a huge sack, just continuing his high level of play. And it's unfortunate that Tank Carter is now out for the year with an ACL, but he may have lost his job to start with Joe Schobert. Yeah, Tank Carter's primarily been a more of a you know presence on special teams, got the play because the team's been pretty bad. I mean, Joe Schobert was, I mean, drafted by the Browns last year. He's probably in position if he, he like over someone like Tank Carter, they're always going to go with the younger guys they drafted. But yeah, starting with the first quarter, like you were saying, with I mean they forced a three and out on Eli Manning, and then Peppers almost broke that kickoff, you know, or that punt return. I mean that was every time he touches the ball, I, I hold my breath and I think he's going to take it to the house. It's awesome to watch. Yeah, I just think the general vibe of him on the field during a punt return, even last night with just us watching on TV. You can kind of sense the crowd was getting excited. And Peppers looks like he's like, yeah, I'm going to return this for a touchdown. Like every time he's going back there confident, outrunning coverages. But with the first quarter, I just want to take a look with some of the drives. They forced two three and outs. But everyone's talking about the Browns' first drive, Brock Osweiler interception. There were some killer penalties on that drive, and he touched on it a little bit after the game and said that it's an area of growth that they were still able to overcome those penalties. And while he's right, He's still very inaccurate with the ball. He had a couple completions, one to Kenny Britt, I believe, and the other to Corey Coleman, and just still not to the point where he's putting his receivers in a good spot to catch and run with it. And I think that's a huge part of the offense is the ability to catch and run, and he's not putting the ball and the money for his receivers to be able to do that. And it's still something that I that I give the edge to Kaiser to in terms of this quarterback competition. Yeah, Osweiler looked, I guess I'll say, he just looked like Brock Osweiler. He didn't look any worse than he's been. He didn't look any better. And I think fans have just talked themselves into him starting. And, I mean, we both agree he's probably going to start based on his experience and the fact, you know, Kaiser, you know, looked like a rookie on Monday night. But Brock Osweiler has not come out and had some career resurgence here from training camp until now. No, I talked about this in my article a while back about how, why Deshaun Kaiser should start. And it's almost playing out exactly how I thought it would, you know, you know what you have in Brock Osweiler. He's not a guy that is, is going to win a game for you. You know, he's, Similar to Cody Kessler, that game manager, yeah, he might be able to complete some passes, but Osweiler specifically is prone to turnovers. You know you, you know what you have. With Deshaun Kaiser, he's got the higher upside of both of those guys, and I think that's got to be the reason why I think Hugh Jackson will be rolling with Deshaun Kaiser this week. You think he's going to start the game versus Tampa Bay? Yes, I have changed my opinion in the last <laughs> 40 minutes that we've been talking. I would like to see him start versus Tampa Bay, but I don't... Well, it's weird because a third preseason game is always where the starters play the most. Mm-hmm. So even if you want to get a good look of him with the first team and then he names Osweiler the starter, doesn't make much sense. But you're saying that Kaiser's going to win the job outright. Is that correct? I just I go back to what benefit do you get of starting Osweiler over Deshaun Kaiser? So far, Deshaun Kaiser has shown the ability to make big plays. And yeah, he had a bad interception yesterday that technically didn't get put down in the stat book because there was a defensive holding. But And that's a rookie throw that he, he knows he can't make. He holds onto the ball too long. But those are things that, he, that can be learned as the season goes on. So you look at a guy like Osweiler, he's good inside the 20s, but once he gets into the red zone, you know, he can't finish. And that is something that the Browns struggled with last year and something that can't continue to happen if the Browns are going to be in games in the fourth quarter this year. Do you think the lack of a 
I guess I'll frame it this way. Do you think the receivers had another rough night because of the quarterbacks or because of they're just not the, playing that well? I just think they've got a lack of depth. The tight ends didn't do any favors either. Kaiser missed that beautiful seam route wide open to Joku just a little bit high, but no one's stepping up from that group. And I'll be really interested to see what wide receivers get cut because the Browns do sit at the top of the waiver wire for the net or for the first three weeks of the year. So I think they've got to be active in that, in that market. Once the cuts go from 90 to 53, I did want to touch on the Browns third drive because they had the giants had a, another punt to peppers and he almost took that one to the house too, but a holding call really backed them up inside their own red zone. One thing that I took notes over just these penalties negating these big plays. You know, Duke Johnson had a good run getting out the edge. I think he had a 13 yard run that got him out of bad field position. Another holding call by Kenny Britt, and then that results in a three and out. You know, the Browns have got to stop committing these killer penalties, whether it's anywhere on the field. Yeah, there comes a point where you try to defend it. I mean, we do. We're kind of like this, where you're like, oh, it's just the preseason. But there comes a point when in te- good teams aren't making these mistakes ever, not even in practice. No. And Britt's holding on the end. Ze- Kevin Zeitler was holding several times. There's Moving into the second quarter, there's one drive that I wrote down here where, I mean, I think it was probably Kaiser's worst drive of the game. There was a long pass that he had, and then he was sacked the next play. He had an eight-yard run on tw- second and 22, and then I think he got sacked again on third and 14. But there was a defensive holding call, so we got a first down. So there's been a lot of things that Kaiser's done that don't necessarily go in the stat sheet that he's escaped from because there have been a couple penalties that have prevented them from looking bad. I can see why they, they might want to roll with Osweiler for the first couple weeks because you you hope that a guy like Deshaun Kaiser would be able to fix those kind of mistakes in, in two or three weeks from now. So maybe that's what Hugh Jackson will end up doing. But I just think in terms of trying to win football games, Deshaun Kaiser gives you the best chance. Yeah, it's tough because with that, um, like you were saying, when he was holding the ball too long, there were several. I mean, they even went in the replays. John Gruden was having a field day with it where Kaiser has the, the pockets collapsing around him. And he's still staring at his receivers like, you got to get that ball. That's like RG3 2.0. I think Osweiler to be honest, is more of that RG3 because we did see a lot of that last year. Even with Cody Kessler, they can move the ball between the 20s. It's like it's almost like they get the yips inside the 20 where they just they turn the ball over. Wide receivers aren't getting any separation, so it's even a tighter window than, than what they're used to. And I, I think Deshaun Kaiser with that read option just really opens up the offense a little bit more than, than something that Brock Osweiler and Cody Kessler are capable of doing. So McCourty strips the ball from Sterling Shepard. Huge momentum play for the Browns. A screen pass to Danny Vitale down to the seven yard line. Touchdown Kaiser. Next drive, Miles Garrett gets a sack. You know, I think the place is pretty much jumping at this point because the Browns look like they've actually really hit on on good draft picks. It's an odd sight seeing someone like Miles Garrett, who you know is already at this level, already dominating offensive linemen. And it's like, oh, the Browns drafted someone for once who's not a project. And same with Peppers. They could put him anywhere in the field. It's like, oh, we just got a value pick late in the first round. They traded, they got a first rounder and got Jabril Peppers. Najoku aside, I think the jury's still out on him right now. He's been kind of banged up, and I believe he got banged up at the end of the game as well. Yeah, he's get, he's been a little hurt, and it's not like he's had a lot of talent throwing him the ball, so we don't really know how he is until the season goes on. Tight ends typically take a little bit longer to develop, so I'm not too worried about him. He's a typically the athletes tend to figure it out and he's a freak athlete so i i'll let the benefit of the doubt slide with him 
Now let's roll into some trivia. All right, hit me with your difficult trivia question. <clears throat> All right, so we switched it up. We're, we're switching to NFL trivia versus Cleveland Browns trivia. Steven, this Pittsburgh Steelers wide receiver was the first wide receiver to be named Super Bowl MVP. Oh, good thing I have the Super Bowl MVP Wikipedia page pulled up. Now I have to get something else. <laughs> I'm going to go with Lynn Swan. That is correct. I should have said who was the sideline reporter in The Waterboy <laughs> <laughs> who, who was threatened by Vicky Valancourt of the final score of the game. Hmm. Both answers are correct. What's yours? You know, I wish you would have hit me with a harder question because I was excited. I'm going to hit you with one that you probably don't know, but it only happened a few months ago. Who was the 2017 Pro Bowl MVP? Oh, my goodness. You're right. I have no clue. Well, there was, there was actually two MVPs, but I'm going to go with the most high-profile player. He's on offense. He's in the AFC. A.J. Green. No, but he is a pass catcher. He enjoys dancing. Antonio Brown. No, he also enjoys dancing. You get one more guess. Oh, boy. He enjoys dancing and he plays <laughs> in the AFC. <laughs> Does he like long walks on the beach as well? Um, he has a nice smile. Oh, gosh darn it. I am going to miss this. Get Lay it on me. I'm not going to think of it in time. Travis Kelsey. Oh, wow. Yeah, I honestly was. I wouldn't have guessed that anyway. That was a hard one. Good for you. What Viking quarterback has been called the NFL's original scrambler? Randall Cunningham. That is incorrect. Oh, no. It is one Fran Tarkenton. Fran Tarkenton was what we were looking for. Steven, the board is yours. I, I had another Super Bowl MVP, but it was like kind of too hard for you. <laughs> <laughs> Who won Super Bowl eleven MVP? I, I think I know the Super Bowl one MVP. Bart Starr. Yeah, it's Bart Starr. I'm not going <laughs> to ask that now. Just ask me questions I already know the answer to. That's the fun of trivia. I got one. Who was the last non-quarterback to win Super Bowl MVP? Not. It was recently, wasn't it? Seems like it. It's very ambiguous. (laughs) It could be. (laughs) Yes. It was recently. It was in the last three years. Oh, my goodness. In between Tom Brady's. I know. Um, Who won the freaking Super Bowl? I don't remember. All a blur. The Patriots won last year, the year before. I am drawing a blank, man. As soon as it's not the Browns, my brain my brain just turns into mush. Do you, you want me to give it to you? Yes. It's Von Miller of the Denver Broncos. They beat the I Panthers. I forgot about that year. I had a rough Super Bowl party that year, so that makes sense why I don't necessarily <laughs> remember. I was in Lake Tahoe, so I cannot relate. This team hired the NFL's first professional cheerleading squad. And you have to answer in the form of a question, like Jeopardy. Who... Ooh, I have two teams in mind. Well, then that should make it a 50-50 chance. What Maybe. is <laughs> the Oakland Raiders? That is incorrect. The answer we were looking for was the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys. I was going to say Cowboys, but I thought that'd be too obvious. I figured I figured that would be an Al Davis move. I try to make you overthink. <laughs> Usually the answers that are too obvious are the correct answers. So hmm. interesting uh, train of thought. Which NFL team has the longest conference championship game drought? They haven't been in a conference championship game the longest. Jacksonville Jaguars. No. They went in the 90s. They were pretty good. I'll give you another guess. 
It is. You get two more guesses. Oakland Raiders. No, they went to the Super Bowl in 2002. It's is it the Browns? No. Oh, I was going to be really it upset is. with myself if it was, and I got two guesses to go before that. The Cincinnati Bengals. The Browns went to the game in 89, but since they were off for three years, they're lower down. Ah. But the Bengals still haven't been there since 88. It was the year between when the Browns missed. Interesting. Because you always think, I mean, the Bengals are consistently a good team for the most part. So Yeah, they just never, they never get out of the divisional round. Isn't that crazy? It is. All right. Back to the game. The trivia has worn off. Second half, I would say not too exciting. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I may or may not have watched a lot of the Indians walk-off win. You know, I, I, I should have because you really missed a good game with the back-to-back fumbles and holding penalties. Here's the drive chart for the whole second half. Field goal, field goal, punt, interception, fumble, fumble, punt, downs, end of game. My notes are, are considerably less. It's, it goes, the first Browns drive, Kaiser picked off. <laughs> holding negates it. I, I I did put that Matthew Days looks really good. Oh, he looks great. He's shifty out of the backfield. I think he's going to be a guy that really is utilized on the same offense as Isaiah Crowell. I know Duke Johnson has been lining up as a slot receiver, but I mean, something about this kid, he's finding his way in space and he's really doing a good job of gaining a lot of yards in quick bursts. So definitely someone that's that's going to make the team and going to press Duke Johnson for some playing time. I mean, Duke Johnson still had nine carries last night, led yeah. the team in carries. But I think that was more so because Crowell was out. So they, just, they still wanted to get their running game going. For the second Browns possession in the third quarter, it says Kessler in, holding, shocker, three and out, end of third. <laughs> so if that if that tells you anything about how the game went. Fourth quarter, I have Nassib looking pretty good. He got into the backfield a few times. Desmond Bryant was still out there with a lot of undrafted guys, so read into that what you will. I mean, it all depends on how the injuries keep going because it seems like every preseason game there's only been two, but how many Browns have been injured? It's like every quarter there's one or two guys going down. Late in the fourth, Njoku goes down with an ankle injury. Questionable why he was still in there, but I think they wanted to just get him some gameplay, so can't really fault the Browns for doing that. My last note was Kevin Hogan in, brutal to watch at this point. (laughs) He went one for one with four carries for negative one rushing yards. Yeah, he got drilled on one play, and I, it was buffering, so I didn't know if it was him or Cody Kessler, and then I, I realized <laughs> it was him, and oof, he's probably feeling it today. Who was your MVP of the week? We already mentioned him earlier, but mine is Jabril Peppers because of the impact he provided on special teams. I think in football, dominant punt returns, kick returns not so much anymore because it's a lot of touchbacks, but dominant punt returns completely changed the game. You think a team like the Browns who has trouble moving the ball on offense, if they have a guy get averaging over 10 yards a punt return, immediately makes a huge difference. Odds are that they might be deep in their own territory. So the punter is trying to boot the ball as far as he can. And if Jabril, the more room Jabril Peppers gets, the better field position the Browns are going to have. Like I said, Joe Schobert is my MVP. Big sack on third down early on in the game against the first team. Just looks very quick, through the knifing through the middle. Six tackles, one sack. Pro Football Focus actually tweeted this out today. 37 total snaps, 30 or seven defensive stops, two pass breakups, and two sacks through two games. So if he can keep up that production, you know, he might not miss a step with Tank Carter being out. And they actually might be better that now Joe Schobert is the middle linebacker of the team. Yeah, I think Schobert, the fact that he was drafted, the fact that Tank Carter was most likely a placeholder waiting for one of the younger guys to step up. 
I mean, Tank Carter, not a bad player at all. You don't want to see someone get injured when they could be starting. But Joe Schobert, definitely, they they brought him in to play last year. And it's kind of good to see those second-year returns on these draft picks. Still waiting to see a little more from the offensive picks. But if the defense shapes up first, there's nothing wrong with that. That'd be completely fine. Do you think it makes Greg Williams look really good or Ray Horton look really bad that Joe Schobert is this effective this early on? I think it's tough to judge because Ray Horton had a very young defense. Greg Williams does too. But Joe Schobert is a rookie. I mean, he had a whole year to learn. Mm -hmm. So I think it makes actually Greg Williams look better because he's finding out ways to utilize his players who aren't the most talented in the league. But he's running certain schemes and packages to utilize their talents guy like Joe Schobert, not a star, but if Greg Williams runs these plays that he knows Schobert can do well, I mean, that's what being a defensive coordinator is all about. Mm -hmm. You work with the guys you're given by the front office. Sticking with the defense, Stephen, what was your overall grade this week for the defense? I gave the defense a B because the Giants did move the ball on them at times, but the Browns, to use a fun idiom, bend, but don't break. They... Never gave up a touchdown. That's the biggest thing. They forced turnovers in the red zone, albeit off Geno Smith. But, hey, if you're not giving up touchdowns in the preseason, that's all fans could ask for. Mm-hmm. I gave him a C plus. I still am Ooh. not skeptical. I saw Joe Hayden get burned yesterday. I think Jamar Taylor and McCourty are, are ahead of him on the depth chart, or at least from what I've seen so far. They they continue to tackle really well. They're still giving up some big chunk plays, but like you said, they're not breaking, which is it's huge. You know, they're getting big plays at certain times at later points in the drive, like a sack or a big tackle for loss that that really kind of defeats the drive of the offense. So the bright spot for me again, Schobert, Miles Garrett getting pressure constantly on the edge, and the Brian Body Calhoun interception. So C plus for me. What about an offensive grade from you? C minus again. Ooh, that's pretty high. Yeah, it was pretty bad, but again, I think I think Kaiser is gonna keep us in games, and that's something that I can't say about Osweiler. Some of the notes, I mean, they're all bad. I actually, I think it, you're right. A C is probably pretty generous. No run game besides Deshaun Kaiser. Poor protection, bad penalties. Kaiser taking big hits. Osweiler can't move the ball or be accurate. No wide receiver stepped up. Bad Kaiser pick negated by defensive penalty. Kaiser missed wide open Njoku for a touchdown. However, I did have a bright spot, and that was Matthew Days. I My grade was a D because although they got a touchdown, the big takeaway for me is like you're saying, it's a lot of they were gifted opportunities by the Giants defense with penalties. The touchdown's nice to see, a nice rushing touchdown for the rookie, but they weren't moving the ball on their own. Yeah. The biggest play, the most exciting offensive play of the game was Dan Vitale on a screen pass, yeah. which is fine. That's good. But no, it's not. It's good for him, I mean. But how about we get, like last week even, or how about we get a 50 yard pass to Corey Coleman or a 50 yard run from a running back? Or just 50 yards rushing from a run, and not even one chunk play, just 50 yards rushing total from someone other than the quarterback. Or 100 receiving yards or. No turnovers. Yeah. Going back, I I, want to hear your thoughts because I I know you love Jabril Peppers. So I want to get your special teams grade and kind of let you gush about how good Jabril Peppers is for a little bit. Give an A minus because he had his big 31-yard return, but the coverage kind of shaped up there in his other two returns. 
I mean, like I said, that that kind of player on your team is invaluable. Like, there's no way to measure how helpful he is, and how and he's only a rookie. He's played two preseason games, and he's already reading punt coverages and performing well. That kind of playmaker we haven't seen since Josh Cribbs. Um, I'm also thankful that we're not putting Corey Coleman back for kicks like we were last year. It's fragile. What the heck was that? Fragile guy. But Peppers in the punt return game. I mean, if he can average 10 yards of return. That's more than more than we can ask for. 11.7 he averaged yesterday, so that's a good number. My grade was a B plus. Like I, my notes just say Pepper's a threat to break it every time he touches the ball and like you said that's invaluable for a team, you know. You don't stump as Browns fans know, you don't stumble on playmakers like that very often. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the kicking competition? I know it's been pretty tight so far and Zane Gonzalez continues to boot it out of the end zone and nail field goals. So what does this mean for Cody Parkey? It seems dead even. I think whoever doesn't make it is going to get picked up by a team right away. But I'm going to side with Zane Gonzalez right now. Well, I, the thing I don't understand is, didn't they sign Cody Parkey at the end of the year to a contract, like two-year contract? I'm sure it's not guaranteed. They drafted Gonzalez, and it's just a weird... Well, all teams kind of do this now. They bring in competition. Yeah. Just to push the other guy, but like a team like Tampa did that didn't work out yeah i have to believe that that zane gonzalez is going to win this thing although cody parkey has done pretty well i was i heard someone today say that they can both hit 55 yarders in their sleep so if that's uh if that's yeah whoever gets let go definitely going to have a job right away well that's good but that's how i mean that's how kicking works you the guy the phil dawson's of the world are very rare exactly exactly so we're we're start we're going to start to close the show now we're going to preview a little bit. We're going to talk about next week's episode as well as our one interesting story. Next week, we'll cover the injury updates on Najoku for the opposing team as well. Any pertinent storylines getting into the game, our typical scouting report, strengths and weaknesses, keys to the game, as well as our game predictions. So with that being said, Stephen, what is your interesting storyline this week? Mine, once again, I'm biased because I was in Chicago for a week, is the play of Mitchell Trubisky with the Bears. I got to watch the game on local TV. Very fun. And the announcers were gushing over Trubisky. He had a nice touchdown pass. I think it's very fascinating to see because every year there's a team, could even be the Browns this year, who have a – they like, we don't want to start our rookie. We don't want to start our rookie quarterback. And then he just plays better than the horrible guy they have in town. Right now, Mike Glenn in Chicago. And I think that – I mean, Trubisky's been playing against third stringers, but – Man, does Mike Lennon look bad. He's always been... I mean, to be fair, he's an NFL starting quarterback. There's maybe 15 guys who are really good at that at any given time in the world. Exactly. And he just isn't looking good. Mitch, with a team that as bad as the Bears, I think think we might have a local guy starting out in Chicago. What's your storyline? Staying local as well. Seth DeValve being the first white player to actively protest the national anthem. I think it's just, you know, his reasoning behind it was very solid. You know, he's he's got an African-American wife, and he's going to bring in uh, mixed children into this world. So what he's protesting for is the fact that he wants a, to bring his children into a world that there are equal opportunities for everybody. You know, so I can't fault him for his reasoning at all. He, he was very thoughtful in his response, and I, I think what he's standing for, or I guess kneeling for, I don't think, while I don't think the platform is the right way to do it, I think there's 
Michael Bennett said last week that it would take a, a white player kneeling to spark the conversation. And I think being in the unique position that Seth DeValve is, you know, it gives him a good opportunity to voice his opinion and really be, maybe he is the reason this, this conversation gets furthered in the eyes of everybody. He was also praying too. Yes. So it's tough to, I mean, there's people who will still say, oh, that's not the, not the right thing to do, whatever. But I've seen players at any level of sport praying before games. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too much into this national anthem yeah, thing. Yeah, Everyone... it appears to, to me it's not a big deal in the sense where people shouldn't be worried about it, but it's a big deal in the sense where it's good. What he, what he did was good, and it's going to be a lead to much more, I think, from other players around the league. All right, and with that, we are, we are done talking about the Giants game, and I hope next time we have this type of episode post-game. Browns are still undefeated. Maybe they'll go twenty and zero. <laughs> let's not let's not put the cart in front of the horse. Yeah, I mean, I would love an undefeated season. Maybe four wins would be nice instead. Four regular season wins, not counting preseason. I was gonna say four regular season wins and then four <laughs> preseason wins, so a solid eight win season. <laughs> they go four and zero in the preseason. Oh no! But yeah, we'll be back talking about the upcoming game against the Buccaneers. As the Browns continue this hectic pace to end the preseason, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. And as always, thank you for listening.